Welcome to Design Speaks. This lovely podcast is brought to you by a graphic design geek and a regular human being, aka a non-designer. We're here to chat about music, pop culture, cool places, and basically whatever we feel is relevant. Hey guys, I'm Brandy C. And I'm Michelle. And you're listening to a very special episode 48 of Design Speaks. Of Design Speaks. Um, we're going to be interviewing here in a sec. Uh, I guess he's becoming a friend. His name is Hugh Weber. He's a national board member for AIGA, but he's so much more. And um, oh, just, you will see. Yeah, I'm just hear. gonna I'm just gonna let you listen to this incredible, incredible interview, and uh, hopefully, you guys get as much out of it as uh, we have. We have. So take a listen. <laughs> hey there. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so today on Design Speaks, we have Mr. Hugh Weber. Welcome, Hugh. It's great to be here. Um, where are you sitting right now? Location wise, I, I am sitting in the on the eastern side of the state of South Dakota in a beautiful uh, community called Sioux Falls. Ooh. Sioux Falls, it sounds pretty. It is uh, also, however, uh, well below zero on the Fahrenheit scale. So, uh, though beautiful, it does keep your skin tight. Uh, it's that kind of cold. Okay, bone chilling. You can't really warm up. Type of cold. That's right. Yikes. Hence the hoodie. So we're on FaceTime, which is yeah. fun. We get to do this interview and like see each other. So I like it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's It hasn't really been winter here. So we're in nope. New we're Mexico. Like, so. We're like, like late fall is what it feels like right yeah, now. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer <laughs> for us. <laughs> So, Enjoy okay. It. So, I have <laughs> first try. Yeah, we're we're a little sad cuz we don't have like snow, but I think we're over it. Yeah. It's like just we let spring come already. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I first saw you at the AIGA uh, leaders retreat in Dallas. Um, you are a national board member, correct? That for better or for worse, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Michelle wanted to know exactly what that is. Yeah, what does the national board member of AIGA do? So AIGA, if you guys haven't, I don't know how well you've kind of dived into the world of AIGA, but AIGA is the Professional Association for Design. Uh, there are 70 plus chapters and 23, 24,000 members around the country. And there is a govern- governing board of AIGA that's a national board. I think we're 17 members right now. Uh, it fluctuates just a little bit. Uh, and it represents the broad picture of what design is in the United States. So um, uh, we set vision for the organization. We work and, and uh, explore and prototype models for the future of the organization, which is something we're deep in now. Uh, we establish kind of the brand frameworks and the messaging around the organization. And at the end of the day, and this is the the up and downside of being a, on a, a nonprofit board, at the end of the day, we have fiduciary responsibility for making sure the organization operates legally and appropriately within the, yeah. the construct. So there is, there. it's not all fun. It's not Darn. all speaking on stages <laughs> in Dallas. Um, but it really is uh, one of the more humbling um, uh, honors and privileges I've had uh, to be able to serve this organization, particularly as someone, which I'm sure we'll get into it, but as someone that doesn't uh, necessarily self-identify as a, a designer, uh, which is a little <laughs> unusual. So um, I came to design late, later in life or late in life. And so to be able to represent an extraordinary group of human beings around the country is, is a real priv- privilege. 
How did you become a national board member? So it is a relatively involved process, and I don't think I've really talked about it um, uh, too publicly in the, in the past, but there's an established criteria uh, of what the the board needs in any given window of time. So annually, there's a, a committee that meets based on a criteria identified by past national boards. Uh, they review um, nominations, self-nominations, peer nominations, uh, and select a final slate that then is offered up to the to the national board. So a little over a year and a half ago, I was encouraged by a number of, of colleagues here in uh, AIGA South Dakota. I was uh, president of, of this chapter uh, okay. for a window of time and was encouraged to do so. A number of, of fr dear friends, uh, people who in the design world, people like Aaron Draplin and others uh, offered uh, nominations. And uh, in their wisdom, and I, I mean this sincerely, in their wisdom, I wasn't selected. And then a year later, <laughs> because there was a different set of criteria mm, uh, yeah. to, to some extent, and there was a different need on the board, and there was a different perspective of what the next three years would hold, um, they called and said, "Would you let us consider your application?" And I, you know, I, I, again, I was, I was, I guess, as, as you would, <laughs> as you would be, like you're humbled, but also I, I kind of like, I'm not sure I have enough time to be able to redo it. And they said, "No, no, we'll consider the 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 application that you you provided last year. It's it's still current." And um, and they gave me uh, sent me a message, gave me a call, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, and said, "Hey, we would love for you to, to join the board." So it's wow. it's 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 a little more drawn out process, and, and I and I don't know that that is common or uncommon. Uh, I mm. haven't had the opportunity to really talk in, in depth. I know it's happened to others that mm -hmm. it hasn't necessarily happened uh, that that first go, and then it just takes form that they needed someone maybe that represented uh, a more rural chapter and understood what design and creativity looks like in rural communities which was where a lot of my background came from. They uh, knew that uh, my, my past had a, a certain conservative flavor as, as it relates to political kind of um, uh, leanings. Uh, they knew that I had other national board experience and that I wasn't, I was a design advocate, not a practicing designer. Uh, and they also know that my background is really in large scale research of member organizations or donor based organizations. And so I, I think that all of those things kind of conspired to say that now is the right time when a year earlier wouldn't have been. And, and frankly, I'm, I, I'm so glad and, and, and grateful that it played out that way because little did I know how chaotic that year would be. And I, I would have been an entirely different board member last year than I've been this year and, and mm. in the future. It's funny how that works. It is. It's good timing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. God always times things yeah. <laughs> in ways we don't plan on. Um, yeah, so I had... Um, wanted you to talk just a tiny bit more about what else you do because not only are you on the national board, which is how I know you, and you know we brought you in to be our keynote speaker for um, AIGA New Mexico for Design right. Summit, which was awesome and everybody loved you. Um, but I know that you also are involved in a number of other really cool things from podcasts to um, your the conference thing that you do. So can you just talk yeah. really briefly about those things? Yeah, so, so the, the, the briefest kind of arc of things is uh, from age 8 to 28, I uh, had deep, sincere political aspirations and, and worked in my first campaign as an 8-year-old and my last one as a 28, 29-year-old. What did you uh, do as an 8-year-old? I, 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 I literally was handed a, a phone book by a local school board candidate that was a friend of the family and just said, why don't you just call people and tell them you think they should vote for Jack? And like I just <laughs> called through a phone book at 8, you know, which is crazy now that I have an 8-year-old daughter of my own it's like i think she's ready to start uh, volunteering <laughs> um but you know i i because hit this you moment looked at, up to who 
uh, my, my oddly enough, given that my experience, <laughs> though I don't consider myself a partisan anymore, um, my experience was in uh, Republican politics. But my hero as a child uh, was President Kennedy, and I have probably in the room, kind of behind us, probably have you know it's several thousand pieces of Ken Kennedy memorabilia from like. Uh, golf balls that he used and gave away to the head <laughs> oh of his secret gosh. service to what? sign letters by all the members of his cabinet, including his brother that was attorney general. Like just crazy collection that was fueled again by the curiosity and passions of an eight-year-old, uh, mm. which is which is really exciting and also shouldn't be how your 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 adulthood should maybe not be <laughs> defined by your eight, eight-year-old self always. Um, but but just in my little. in my well, I, I would hope it would be there somewhere. And I'm, I'm actually oddly enough, and I, and I say this in the context of design and creativity i'm more of a kid more of a like, carefree explorer and creator at 40 than i ever was at, at eight or ten I, I was so serious and had such a clear <laughs> kind of linear path and now i'm learning letterpress and i'm learning the love of getting my hands inky or painty mm -hmm. or spray painty like those are things i never would have done in a million years as a teenager or, or as a as a young kid and right. so there's a little bit of i've i've kind of worked the process backwards i started as a 60 year old man and i'm working my way back to very benjamin child. button of you <laughs> it's a little benjamin button exactly <laughs> Um, Sorry, I inter but, I got you like off track, but <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, so, so in my mid twenties, I kind of had a, a, a moment of a, a awareness, awakening, however you choose to frame it, and uh, recognized that I was um, actively working. Though I was deeply passionate about politics, I was a, a mercenary, not a missionary. I was surrounded by people that were very passionate about their communities. I was just there as kind of a hired political gun, and was leaving places worse off. And as a perennial target state you know those folks that come through new mexico <laughs> and are there and they're there six to 12 months and disappear that was mm -hmm. my professional life and i realized i wanted something more you know my dad was an electrician but he was very involved uh, in the community and i wanted to leave a legacy so um the work since then really in the last 10 years i ran my last campaign in 2008 uh and uh in the last 10 years, I started a nonprofit that raised a couple million dollars for creatives in the states of South Dakota, North Dakota, and Minnesota. Uh, designers, filmmakers, photographers, artists, uh, just good community folks that want to see a little more creativity. Uh, and that was called OTA, O-T-A, uh, which is just the last three letters of South Dakota, North Dakota, and Minnesota. Nice. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I started a, a, a for-profit, an LLC consultancy that really took those community organizing skills from the political world and put them in the context and and research which is what my uh, graduate degree was in and put them in the context of large organizations so I've worked with and had the good fortune to work with everyone from uh, Compassion International which is a great international faith-based uh, child support uh, organization and education agency 600,000 monthly yeah. active donors and uh, we got to redefine the frame which they message with uh, from one of advocacy to activism. And so mm. everything you see now is acts of compassion. I got to do that research and messaging strategy for wow. them. Um, That's I got incredible. to help in kind of a dream, dream project, help with uh, the rollout of the movie Selma. Uh, which was the, oddly mm. enough, it's Martin Luther King Day today. Yeah, uh, yes. it was the it was the Martin Luther King biopic, and uh, we asked the big question uh, with Paramount and others: uh, Can a movie spark a movement? And got to engage everyone from Oprah to Kid President to a lot of regional rap stars. That uh, is incredible. Wow. Which, uh, that must be um, fulfilling. 
it, it was, you know, that was kind of a, a perfect scenario as a kid that grew up uh, obsessed with the politics of the sixties. Uh, my, my, um, my focus as an undergraduate was in civil rights uh, mm. politics. Uh, you know, I, I was a student. I mean, like the day Taylor I got the call. Tailor made for you. <laughs> yeah, right. The day I got the call of the potential project, I literally went to the collection and pulled out probably a dozen life magazines from that era that all had MLK in them or on them and was able to send them to the creative team. Oh my I mean, gosh. It was, just, it was, wow. was kind of tailor made. And, and I have such an insane amount of respect for uh, Ava DuVernay, who's the director and David Oyelowo, who's the, who plays Martin Luther King and was able to bring David here to one of our Oda events and interview Ava for some, some content like this. And it was wow. just this, it was this full circle project that said, you know, this childhood fascination with community organizing now can, realize itself in a creative format through this beautiful film um, that's unbelievable <laughs> yeah and 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 as of late so Oda wrapped up after nearly 10 years wrapped up last uh just a year ago uh and uh so this past year I, I decided to see what I could do with audio and mm. so the last year I worked with public broadcasting and public radio uh, launched a podcast called the Potluck Society, which is that perfect blend of sophistication and uh, you know <laughs> Scotch or rhubarbs. Yeah, uh, and, <laughs> that's, uh, that's perfect. I love that so much. <laughs> and uh, started a, a great uh, podcast with a, a colleague in in Nashville named Rod Arnold. Um, uh, that podcast is called Leading Good, which is for leaders of social impact, social enterprise, and nonprofits. Uh, Rod was the uh, chief operating officer of Charity Water and became uh, a really important collaborator on work like Compassion and, and, and Selma. And, um, and so he and I have spent the last year uh, interviewing in extraordinary leaders of social good initiatives. Um, and then, you know, little side projects. I, I'm blessed. My creative director is an eight-year-old, uh, and she uh, <laughs> she sparks the most extraordinary things. We founded uh, what we called the Bubble Parade, which, as Ooh. she noted the very first time, the Bubble Parade is just an excuse to walk around and blow bubbles. Um, but we've done it, uh, I think, four years now. Uh, the, the, the work now happens with Ronald McDonald Charities. Uh. And so several hundred people, the one year it was over a thousand people, got together. We walk a parade route blowing bubbles and what? eat popsicles at the end and um so li life is pretty magical and it's it's a funny thing i've been working with a, a coach lately this was supposed to be a short answer brain no no that's okay <laughs> that's i told her that that you you talk a lot but that i love it and that i was and that i was really she hoping that in the nicest no, of ways like, i was like he has so much good stuff to say so i hope that he doesn't have like a super hardcore time limit because i love that he has so much to talk about uh, yes definitely well, a good thing yeah, so, so I've been working with this coach lately, and in 2004, when I decided I wanted to leave politics, I mean, literally 4th of July, sitting with my dad on the White House lawn, I need to find a new way to actually improve community. Um, that, that summer, I sat down and wrote a one-page vision statement of what I wanted, and it had everything from uh, statements of health to statements of relationship. I wasn't even dating anyone at the point, but I talked about my wife and the relationship I wanted with her. Uh, I talked about you know fishing with my son, which he was even a step further away. Way. And and we sat down my, myself and, and this extraordinary coach that that her, her name's Haley Samuelson, just an extraordinary human being that's kind of guiding my business um, strategy right now. Sat down and reviewed that document now, fourteen years later, oh, and wow. with, with some very minimal differences. You know, I still don't have 
the greatest dog in the world. I don't have a pet yet, but <laughs> other, other than that, like Minimal. we literally, we literally like highlighted the things that have happened or are happening, uh, and and it was the entire page, and it was like wow. there's this there's this ability to design a life that I think escapes so many of us that it wasn't about, you know, I don't, I haven't read the secret. I don't know about, you know, uh, willing things into being, but there was a certain amount of, I sat down and decided what it was I really wanted. It said things like I work with college students uh, around civic engagement, which I've done. I, I meet with small town mayors, which is something that I spend a lot of time doing is being in small towns with mayors. I, you know, I'm active in, in communities of faith and active in, in, uh, in communities of creativity. I, you know, all, all of these things, I, I, I own suits, but rarely wear them because <laughs> I prefer to wear, wear hoodies and blue jeans. I yeah. mean, like, it literally like the person I was when I wrote it could not have been further from the person uh, I, I still aspire to be and that, that I'm closer to being today. But I think that, 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 that it's amazing to look at what has happened in the last 10 to, to 14 years and to see where we are today. So you said that it took you a day to write that. You just sat down and wrote that letter pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So, so I had this, so yes. So, so the, the awkwardness of, I had my aha moment on the lawn in July and in September I, I, I woke up in the morning and it was the middle of the presidential campaign. I was working uh, on the, the national campaign and I walked down to the front desk of a hotel and said, I need to get, um, I need to get a taxi so I can fly to Lansing. And, and the, the lady at the, the, the uh, front desk kind of looked at me funny. And, and in that moment I was stressed. I was, I hadn't slept in months. Like, but I said, like, is it a problem? Like, if you can give me a number, I can, I can call, I'll call the taxi myself yeah. before, before Uber, right? Before like Uber. Before yeah. Uber. <laughs> yes. And, and she was, she looked at me again and kind of just shook her head. And like, immediately I was a little irritated by the whole yeah. situation. I was like, like seriously do i need to talk to a manager to get to get a taxi and she just looks at i, I said i need to get to lansing and she just looks at me and shakes her hand and says son you are already in lansing oh my said, gosh and, and she she goes you can't you flew in last night like what time is your meeting and i just looked at her and humiliated at that point uh. and I said, 10 o'clock 10 o'clock and she says go up to your bedroom and get some sleep oh and my it was gosh. it was so it was Bless it, on, your heart. On, on, the, on the heels of the july kind of awakening and still knowing that i had six months of the campaign you know it couldn't be immediate but it was that weekend i, I went back and checked and i wrote it that weekend on a saturday like essentially over the course of a day of this is what i want uh, yeah. This is who I want to be. This is this is the people that I want to surround myself with. I hadn't sent a birthday card for several years at that point, and in it wrote, "I'm the guy that sends the birthday cards." Like, mm. I mean, this 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 was so aspirational as to be almost delusional, mm. and, uh, and and I think that um, uh, it's it's it, I'm so far from perfect, uh, and I recognize that both in the longevity of life, but also in the moment. Like, I'm so far from perfect. But I designed a life that that made a better version of myself possible. I like that and, idea. And, idea design your life. Yeah, that's nothing I've never thought we're, of. We're just gonna take that from you and uh, run please, with it. Please, you should <laughs> trademark it. <laughs> well, and and there's so there's so much of I mean like anything that's in self care or self help, you know, which I think are the same thing, but self care sounds a lot better than self help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anything in that space is essentially telling you to do that, right? Like create a context where mm -hmm. you can be successful. Remove triggers that. That lead to negative behavior, you know, increase kind of likelihoods of, of positive behavior. Surround yourself by extraordinary people, uh, which is another kind of such dominant theme in my life is, is the last 10 years has been a parade of 
ordinary people that are truly doing and building extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, magic happens just by, by, by just the collisions with, with, you know, folks like yourself. Aww. You're getting me all fired up at like, what time is it? Nine o'clock. What am I going to do at nine o'clock at night? <laughs> You're going to go make your list and design your life. Design my life. So the last piece of this, the, the last uh, couple months, and really I think what will be much of the next several years, um, I, I started three years ago, I started going back to my hometown. I hadn't been there in 20 years. Uh, a small town of 3,300 of the, the, the just most wonderful human beings uh, in the country. Um, and, and I hadn't gone back because in the Midwest, and I think this is true in a lot of rural places, there's this sense that at some point, if you have talent or creativity, you're slightly outside the norm, mm -hmm. that you're identified as being special. And I don't mean that in any sort of pedestal way, but just different. Mm -hmm. And I, I was I was 11 or 12 years old the first time uh, an adult in the community asked me which coast I was going to live on, right? There was just this assumption oh. that, that, that I would leave where I was from. So coming back here in 2006, I really felt like I'd let them down. Like the first, the first kind of ten years was because I was elsewhere and away and busy and 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 you know jet setting. Uh, but the the between 2006 and 2010, I was avoiding it. Like I would go back for funerals and occasional weddings, but I mm. really wasn't going back because I didn't want to. I didn't want to be a disappointment in that way. And so <laughs> I was invited to speak at the annual banquet for their economic development, and uh, I just decided I was going to give the honest talk. And I said this community gave me everything I needed to literally elect presidents, anything, everything I needed to succeed. Uh, it just, the only thing it didn't give me was a ticket home. It did, didn't give me that invitation to be part of this community mm. after I left. And I got a call the next, <laughs> next week from the head of economic development saying, we heard what you said and we just want to make it clear that there's an open invitation that you should be here as much as you can be and, and that we want you to be involved in the future of the community. And it has started this extraordinary path of several years now um, that, that I couldn't have anticipated that has completely changed my life and work, which is to say uh, a community that gave me a ton that a uh, hundred years ago, I wouldn't have left because I wouldn't have moved more than 10 miles away from it. Um, I did move far away and they've given me a chance to be a part of it. And so we've started a process of designing that community in a way that, that builds it towards the future and the guiding question, which has now become my guiding question kind of in life and certainly in work is what matters most. You know, there's so many things going on. There's so many pathways. There are so many uh, opportunities. There are so many uh, demands on our attention and time. There are so many material things that we can purchase or design. But the question of what matters most, at the end of the day, what matters most? Not what matters, because a lot of things matter. Right. There are a hundred <laughs> things in my household right now that matter. But in this moment, what matters most is this conversation. Or in this week, what matters most is time with my daughter. Or in this month, you know, what matters most is 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 providing and supporting uh, my family and, and finding quality time with my wife, you know, just asking that question of what matters most. And, you know, I had someone challenge me in this last couple of days saying like, but that doesn't actually apply. What if you're a toilet paper manufacturer? I was like, toilet paper is where the question of what matters most matters most. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Toilet paper matters there's most, guys. There's some very specific <laughs> what matters most when it comes to toilet paper. So I think this question applies <laughs> everywhere, but I hadn't thought of it as uh, I hadn't thought of it as a question of design until um, just just recently. Of th this is this is a fundamental question of like what matters most implies both who matters most and why it matters. Mm -hmm. It's the context of of what you're doing and what its usage is. It's just the simple idea of, of connecting people to themselves or their passion or their each other or to community or to something bigger than themselves and. 
you know, I, I allowed myself to become a designer. I read this this quote um, uh, from a, uh, an, a gallery exhibit that was done of the, the Eames, of the furn- furniture mm. manufacturers and filmmakers. And it simply said, and it's not a direct quote, it's, a, it's whoever wrote the gallery book, but it just said, Charles Eames believed that design was simply solving problems through connection. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if that's design, then I'm absolutely a designer you know I, for sure I had, a, I, I had a friend that that once said that they were drinking and trying to decide what it was that i do for a living and uh, <laughs> one, one of what one of honor. the more <laughs> right kind of or a concern like, whoever well. drinking game <laughs> like <Yes>. uh, <laughs> But but that he he just said that Hugh Hugh is an artist and his medium is human interaction and human connection and I think I like that but I like designer better because designers get paid right yes like, they do totally. <laughs> so designers designer. have reasons artists get to do whatever they want <laughs> that's right so I, I mean that that that's a long way to get there but that that's me I mean it's messy it's it's human it's uh it's a winding path I don't know what they'll call me at the end of this kind of life journey. But um, it's 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 all it all makes sense. The dots line up. The work I was doing to elect people that sometimes I didn't respect in uh, in in you know and that supported things I didn't necessarily always support. Now I use to empower donors to uh, donate to children across the world or you know extraordinary organizations. And there's this group in Southeast DC that I'm absolutely in love with called the Creative School to take those same, same skills that I once lived six or eight blocks from the kids, the, the young men that they call kings in the, at the Creative School in Southeast DC. I lived between six and 10 blocks from them and was undermining the, the value of their life through my political work. And now I live thousands of miles away from them and, and I'm leveraging the same skills to make their lives better. It's pretty awesome. Right? That sounds amazing. So I really am glad that you took the time to say all that because it was really hard for me to just even explain, like you said, you know, she's like, okay, well, who's Weber? You know, who's whoever? And I'm like, well, he does a lot of cool things. He's like about <laughs> connecting and he's so I really I really wanted that. And I think that that's really valuable. Um, the question that I really w- kind of want to talk about, um, you and I had a chance to kind of have a one on one earlier this week, which was amazing. And um, I was we were talking about design and community, which is something you've already kind of touched on. But I would love it if you could just talk a little bit more about um how designers should kind of seek out and maybe how we seek out how to be involved intentionally with our design and community. Yeah. Is that something that yeah, you can this, kind of I, speak I'm, to? I'm so, I'm so on fire about this. This might take 30 minutes to fully exhaust me. So, <laughs> okay. so wave, wave a hand or something if you're just like, this has been enough. Okay. So, so this, this kind of intersection, I think, between design and community is just absolutely beautiful. Because I think starting first on the community side of things, communities tend to measure success through growth which unless you're in a handful of large metro areas is not a winning proposition anymore. Mm-hmm. They tend to measure success. There's an actual measure in community design. So uh, city engineers tend to be the last people involved when uh, city decisions are made. And there's a measure in city design that the engineers kind of use, in my understanding, this is what I've been told, as gospel, which is a pass-through measure, which means that the people that make the decisions about the way our cities look and act, their very highest priority is how fast cars can get through it. 
right? Hmm. Like, just think about that. Like, what an <laughs> insane way, what an insane way to design a city is how fast you can get people through it when everything else about community is about slowing people yes. down, giving them places mm-hmm. to connect, um, thinking intentionally stuff about the do. experience people are having, <laughs> stuff to do, living a life there, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the communities are intentionally being built to get cars through them as quickly as they can. And so it just doesn't make sense. Like, they so desperately need someone to say, this is how you design an experience. This is how you design a day, a meal, a billboard, a life. Like this is this is how you build something and build a place worth living. And designers are inherently these empathetic individuals that see people. Like mm-hmm. they they actually see them. Like they 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 they're not there as an inconvenience. A lot of businesses treat customers and clients as inconveniences. Like you walk into a store and you know it, right? Where yep. they, everyone turns and looks at you and thinks, "I'd rather finish working on this spreadsheet, but I guess since you're here, I'll acknowledge." I guess I'll get up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Designers inherently, their work is almost entirely about human connection. And We're about, psychologists and the, on right. some level, like really. Psychologists, <laughs> ethnographers, you're mm-hmm. like a well-dressed Indiana Jones. Like, you <laughs> yeah. are, you're like That's designers the are these extraordinary <laughs> bridge builders. Um, but here's the problem. So that's that's the community's deficit that requires a designer. The problem with designers, as, as I see it, is designers... Um, Designers, because of the tools, because of technology, because of a whole lot of functions, because a lot of them are introverts, designers tend to be isolated, mm-hmm. Create creatives in general. And, and, and I, I hate to say it, but design can only exist in community. In, innovation, I, I do a lot of network uh, theory, network mapping, network assessment. Innovation always happens at the edges. Innovation doesn't happen in the core. So so if you are a core group of five that work within a, a creative agency or design agency or advertising agency, you're going to become really good at efficient use of the knowledge you have. Like you're going to get better and better at process and you're going to get better and better at, at how you use what you know mm-hmm. and putting together those pieces over and over. Like if you had only one puzzle, right? And your job <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, like over over the course of a year, you're gonna really good at putting that puzzle together. Right. It's also gonna get pretty boring, and you're gonna burn out, which is a problem that creatives face. But where innovation happens, where actual breakthrough, transformational creativity, where world-class design happens is at the edges. It happens when a designer is walking down the street to get a cup of coffee and sees a crack in the ground and realizes it looks like the letter N and they have a client named National and now they've got this Were you following design. me? Right? I, <laughs> I pay attention to your social media. Like you, you, you get those details as, as better than, than virtually anyone I've encountered because it's so... It's so natural to you to do so, to find inspiration at the edges of your life and at the edges of your network. But designers have become so much more isolated or or in the, I guess, best case scenario, they've become so deeply committed to a, a pod of practice, mm. a, a small community or a small group, that what we've lost is some of the fluidity, especially outside of the New Yorks and San Francisco where there's just not as much fluid movement. For sure. Um, and, 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 and in that way, the thing they're missing, the thing that 90% of designers are missing is a community that is diverse and thriving and is fully engaged, you know? And, you know, I, I, won't, uh, I won't cheerlead AIGA too much except to say that the only organization that, that fully supports designers from the beginning of the career to the end of their natural life, mm-hmm. which is the end of their career, is AIGA. It's mm-hmm. an organization that inherently knows those stages, knows the geographic diversity, knows the industry diversity, has 100 years in the past and can see 100 years in the future. 
And that's that's what designers are missing. And so there's this there's this unusual moment in time where people are just not joiners. They're not they're not driven towards membership organizations like we all were a hundred years ago, where chambers were thriving and and business uh, communities were thriving and design organizations were thriving. People were begging to start this organization. It grew out of the National Arts Club in in uh, New York. AIGA was started to essentially service anyone that makes designs visual. They didn't even have the word graphic designer at the time, so it was anyone that makes des- uh, makes ideas visual. Mm. Uh, and and people were just dying for this opportunity. Now they're not joining, but they don't realize that what they're disconnecting from is their own livelihood. Like they're disconnecting from their own creative spark and their own creative catalyst. And so for me, that kind of intersection, I've started kind of using the tagline. Uh, uh, with my work of designing engaged communities because communities need design thinking, they need engagement strategies, but designers need engaged communities. And and that, that overlap of that kind of Venn diagram of design and community is uh, is where I'm spending my time. I'm, I'm not going to talk like, the whole I'm like, time. Are I, you done talking? Because I, mean, I don't want you to be done talking. <laughs> I want, I'm like, I always have to wait for Michelle to like process for a sec. No, no, and, and ask some questions go for before it. I do. <laughs> no, go for it. I don't. I don't have questions right now. I am learning so much. I don't even want you to stop. <laughs> so, so I do. I'm gonna like prompt you because you work. You work for a creative team. Mm-hmm. Um, so she works with creative similar to you, where she was. She doesn't consider her. She's not a designer. I'm not a designer. But, you know, like I believe everyone's creative. She's a creative. Um, but if you could give like an idea of how to start implementing that, like how to like light that spark of like making people maybe even in your office want to do more community outside of themselves kind of, you know, because obviously like if you work in house or if you work at an agency, you guys all have that community built in, you know, you see each other every day, you work on clients together, you work on projects all the time, you know, you're, they're basically like your family outside of your family. But then how do you convince them to go, hey, like there's this there's this art gallery opening or something like we should all go check that out. There might be something really cool that might be inspired. Like, you know, what what is your experience with kind of helping people spark that desire to get out in their community as creatives? Man, you're just throwing me softball after softball. This is this is the greatest conversation. <laughs> So, so this is super geeky, but the but uh, the in in mathematical equations, the triangle is used as a as a symbol for change or mm-hmm. for difference, uh, and so I often talk about kind of creating change in that context, which is simply an exercise of if you think about yourself as a point. This is going to be really hard. I'm just going to draw it. You go ahead. Realize, I'm going right? to draw it. You and think then about I'll yourself as a point, <laughs> and you and you think about it kind of a hub and spoke network. So you've got these all of these lines extending from yourself. The easiest pathway to creating change is a simple introduction between two of those people, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the act of creating community and building community is simply an act of, uh, it's, it's listening or observation, it's an invitation, uh, it's a, a, a facilitation of conversation, and then I always say a fourth stage, because I like to celebrate, is celebration, right? When uh, I call this the potluck strategy, <laughs> because that's exactly what it is, is it's a, it's a strategy of, of organizing a potluck, which is to say, my grandmother was extraordinary. Whether it was me doing something well or another cousin maybe needing a little bit of positive influence, Grandma Dolly would call a potluck and everyone would show up because we all live nearby 
Everyone would bring a dish to pass. The invitation was clear. And then the conversation would flow around those things that needed to be addressed, those things that needed to be celebrated. And there was always this spirit of, of, of community. Now that's family, but we can do the same thing on a larger scale, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I talk a lot about listening for connection. So hearing those moments and, and this, for some people this comes incredible, so naturally that they don't know they're doing it. And for others, they really need to put the, the focus on it, which is to listen for what someone's saying as far as things that are exciting them in a way that it's a gift they have to give, right? Mm. When you hear someone talking about how they've learned to do this specific thing with a piece of technology, or they've learned how to cook this new dish, or they've learned how to, um, they, they're excited about their new car, or whatever that might be, those passions that are, are something they clearly have an inclination to want to share with other people, the the inverse is to listen where their where their gaps are. I'd really like to do this, but I don't have the, 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 the equipment to do a video. I'd really like to start a podcast, but I'm not sure where to look for the right mic or what what you know platform to use mm. i'd really like to do this but man i'll need a logo for that right yeah right. and 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 if everyone needs a logo for that <laughs> everyone needs a logo for that um <laughs> yeah uh, um but I, th I think if you're constantly listening for connection, you're going to recognize the opportunities to complete those triangles and, and to create change, right? So it may be that you hear someone that has that, you know, if, tomor if tomorrow someone approaches me and says, I'm getting this new logo, I'm just not sure about, you know, what color it should be or how to, how to think about color, I'm going to say, well, I know this extraordinary designer in Albuquerque named Brandy C, <laughs> and she is obsessed with color yes. theory, and you really should have an hour conversation with her. What you're, what you're doing in that act is a couple of things. You're, you're, you're fulfilling a need, which is gonna create an emotional connection between the two people. Not, not, please don't hear that meaning romantic, but emotional. Oh no, emotional. for sure, yeah, you're, I get there's it. A, there's, a, there's, a, there's a give get in it that is mm -hmm. fundamental to, to community organizing. But more so than that, you are connecting and bridging two entirely different social networks, and in a way that's entirely meaningful. And what you what you're what you're ma making in that process is a is a is a more dynamic, clustered core of connection. But you're ensuring that the innovation. I introduce you to someone in Sioux Falls. The innovation in Sioux Falls fundamentally measurably changes, but the innovation in, in Albuquerque and New Mexico also fundamentally and measurably changes. And ways. so when I think about community, it's it's really hard to think about uh, connecting the, 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 the national partisan and social divide, right? It's really hard to think about connecting uh, communities of faith with secular communities. Mm. Like that is a huge, scary, terrible problem. But what's really easy is to invite two people I know to coffee. You know, to to exchange high fives, hugs, you know, ideas, whatever, totally. whatever it takes, <laughs> ideas, and and to be human, and and you know that seems subtle or it seems insignificant, but I can assure you that it is it is the way that humans are wired. You know, it takes intentionality, I, though. It does. For sure. It does. It does, and it, it's a daily practice, right? Like for me, yes. it is it is more like I am healthier when I'm connecting people than I am you know it probably wouldn't hurt me to exercise still but I think if, <laughs> if I had to choose between the two of them it's more important for me to be connecting people because I actually believe that's a hardwired need we have mm -hmm. and for me it's it's it brings me great joy as well so the advice I would give is simply to say you know who who isn't connected observe observe the the colleagues who doesn't go to the after after work socials mm. who doesn't who doesn't seem to have a a, a, a a community of faith or spiritual or even just 
just meditative practice, who doesn't have family nearby, and then identify where those opportunities are to connect them to people that share similar passions, whose needs they fill or vice versa, and be begin just introducing people. And I think we place so much, um, especially in smaller areas, there's this sense that everyone's connected, everyone knows each other. Mm -hmm. But the difference between recognizing someone's face or knowing their name and actually having had a conversation with them is 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 biologically different. You yes. know, we, 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 we talk about falling in love as being this kind of tipsy head over heels kind of thing. It is a chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. When we shake someone's hand, there, there's a little literal biological, you know, physiological reaction that our that our body has. And that that is an important way that we tr- build trust. It's you know, when you get when you give birth, the, if those chemicals weren't there, you de- the child definitely wouldn't survive. Right. Like, You cause me a lot of pain. You don't deserve to be alive right now. (laughs) We are we are built. Our systems and and our humanity is built to um, uh, allow us to trust people, and it's it's not just a it's not just a mental process. It's a physiological. Right. We're definitely created to to need each other. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's an interesting thing to think about, especially um, these days, because you go to Facebook, Instagram, and you see people constantly posting like memes and other articles about how it's the cool thing to be an introvert these days um and so and i mean you're talking i'm like a i don't know according to other according to society i'm an extrovert introvert where i'm extroverted when i need to be but you know i'm exhausted when i get home and so so i think as a like a a, a society where we're all introverts we all just kind of like make it a point to not talk to anybody because it's okay because we're introverted. We don't right. need to. Well, so- and, and there's, you're, you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing a lot of people talking about it, even in the last six or six or eight weeks. Um, but there, there's, there's getting me started on, on social media is a, another challenging thing because what, what we know is all those things I was talking about biologically uh, about connection don't actually exist through Social digital media. channels. Totally. Like digi- digital high fives and hugs give us none of the benefits. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I, t- I talk about, when, and I may have said this in, in, in the, the design summit, um, but I talk about how when I was a kid, there were, there were 40 people at the birthday party because I had that many cousins. I mean, like, it was a hug fest yeah like same you know, like it, it was it was how it is and and now i might get 500 facebook comments i recently left facebook actually on a personal level but um I, i'd get 500 birthday greetings and and the biological impact is zero mm. and so you go from having 40 people that you know love trust and belong with uh you know physical meaningful physical contact to having 500 people that you might not really know, like, or belong with, giving you no meaningful contact. And it's a recipe for confusion. Because you look and you say, I am more connected than I've ever been. And yet, biologically, I feel so sad and alone. Right. And, and like, it's a recipe for depression and, and ultimately for uh, mental health issues and, and suicide. Mm. You see a lot of early... Um, staff and, and employees of those large companies, not to name any of them, but they're the, those dominant players saying like, I don't like my kids to use it. I'm not using it myself. We need to, I, I recently, I'm looking at you in black and white because I recently read this article that said that um, going to grayscale on your phone removes much of the addictive, talk about color theory, removes much of the addic- <laughs> addictive qualities of apps. Where did you Is read this? Thing? I want to read this. I'll, I'll, send, I'll <laughs> send, send you a link to, to, to put in the notes. But, but effectively, like the colors are intentionally chosen to convince you to come back to those apps even when you don't need to. I mean, so, red, red little numbers. 
That's I mean, right. and so, <laughs> no, no, so you're in grayscale, you know, you're in grayscale oh, and, and, and the last couple so days, it's, it's, it's been a remarkable thing. Now, the funny thing was I had to switch it back today. I was telling my wife this earlier, I had to switch it back today to color. I couldn't discern on a, on a document what I, I need to look at. Color. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I, 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 I turned it back on and I forgot and I went a full eight hour day with it back in color. And it was oh, like, no. look at how quickly, look at how quickly I settled back into that as the mm. norm. Um, and, and, uh, and and so I mean I think it's I think it's interesting in all scales, but the digital side of things to me is scary because it's so ever present and because it's so convincing. And I, this is not to say there aren't great things about mm-hmm. it. I've I've enjoyed a, a great standard of living. I've I've stayed uh, in some form of connection with with co- classmates I wouldn't have. But what it does is it tricks us not in into not having a cup of coffee with someone we know or love. Like it tricks us right. into skipping a family gathering or not going to a college reunion or doing because I, I literally said said at my twentieth high school reunion, I know what everyone's up to. Like, do I really need to go? Right? Oh and, and, yeah, and rea- that's so interesting. The, the, the reality is it, it tricks us into avoiding the things that actually make us fully human mm. and fully fully happy and realized. Do you think that um, designers and creatives in general um, have a harder time with with kind of pushing out into the community more um, because maybe they feel like they are involved by what they contribute design-wise? Do you think that's like a weird... Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think there, I think that's part of it. I think they also just, just in terms of 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 having special skill sets, and 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 I I romanticize design in a in a to a crazy degree. I think designers are are truly extraordinary human beings and see the world through kind of a superhuman lens. I think that super uh, empathetic driven um, character and process also also makes them an outsider you know and often the language is different and you know this is any sort of group that that uh is uh has a special focus or is a special you know clan or tribe or 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 or, you know cohort is that it's harder to it's harder to fit in and so if you are to some degree inherently or lean to, towards being an introvert if you someone that has a specific way of seeing the world that can get completely insanely riled up over the use of a specific font <laughs> like it's going to be hard for the general public I don't know anybody the general like public to uh to uh, embrace you as normal <laughs> yeah and honestly that's part of the reason why um we do this format is because um I just got to the point where I was just tired of explaining to people why I cost so much and what do I do all day and I just draw for a living and um, you know bringing Michelle on who works with creatives but, but I'm not a designer but is not a designer um, and can you know ask honest questions um, that might seem you know to other designers to be like dumb questions like I really want to show the world of non-designers the value and maybe try to understand us a little bit <laughs> And on the yeah. flip side, you by me asking these questions, whatever they are, you maybe understand where we're coming from yes, a little bit more. For sure, that it's like not something that we should just know. Yeah, and so that we're not as designers just like up here in our cool design head space, <laughs> thinking that you guys are super lame. 
<laughs> yeah, but 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 it's it's hard, right? Like, so I, I tell the story often. Um, uh, David Foster Wallace uh, uh, told the story in one of his commencement speeches he gave about the the two fish that are swimming along in in and uh, they cross paths with this older, wiser, probably a designer fish, <laughs> and, and 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 the designer shouts out to them as as he swim by, like, "Hey guys, how's the water? Like, you know, like how, how's the swim?" And continues on, and the two fish get a little further along. And they're like, "What the hell is water?" And they like they are so they're so they're so surrounded by this truth, right? They're so surrounded by this like reality of their world that they don't even realize it's there, and that's design, right? Like that's exactly at the end of the at the end of the at the end of the day, like the the non designer or the person that doesn't choose to understand what design is swims in a like context and ecosystem that is wholly created for them Mm -hmm. that is wholly created for their reality to improve their life at least to change their life maybe improve their life and on the flip side is the designer who sees it all and just can't like get over the fact that people don't recognize appreciate elevate (laughs) champion celebrate you know everything that they've created as the global context for the human experience yes yeah like you wouldn't Uh, even know where you're driving without design and i've learned i've learned so much because of this podcast because I hang out with Brandy so often, but also I can relate on so many different levels. Um, movies, for example, I don't want to show specific movies to, to certain people because I'm like, you're not even going to appreciate it. You don't even know what you're looking at. <laughs> Music is the same thing. So I feel I feel that and I get that. And maybe, I don't know, maybe there's an accountant out there who's like, I'm not talking to you about this. It'd be over your head and you wouldn't even appreciate it. And I'd be That's like, my accountant. He did exactly that. <laughs> Exactly. I'm like, amen. I have no oddly, idea oddly enough, oddly enough, and this this is where I think that, that design, it's why I, I choose to invest as much time in advocating for design as I do. I, my my accountant is now on the board of AIGA South Dakota. What? Right? That's incredible. Right? And, and th- That's why is, I love AIGA. Because, this is because he sees, he sees the value mm-hmm. that design contributes to a traditional conservative community like Sioux Falls. And wants to make sure that it exists, and wants to make sure that it's solvent and sustainable. And uh, like, I, I to me, that's 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 design. The, the extreme power of design is that someone whose life is built around monochrome spreadsheets <laughs> can can dedicate time each month to uh, a board for an organization that is a profession he doesn't exist in. You know, beautiful. I, d- it's it's pretty it's pretty unreal right and and you know des- design you you said we wouldn't know where to to drive i mean I, I often say design both tells us where we're going it's a wayfinding tool and it also helps us get lost it's mm. a tool that you know like hel- helps us like leave behind the the everyday you know i i think both in terms of of symbols and and identities what they mean and what they symbolize you know i, I all all comes from someone whether they called they probably didn't call themselves a designer but they recognize the the most efficient way to you know do whatever it was they were doing and and you know to build and create and craft and mm-hmm. to be pr- to be proud of that and and to pay attention to the details and to recognize what a, a subtlety would do to change those details. I mean, family crests are the first logos, is is what right. I think, but <laughs> that's a whole other. Because- <laughs> I think it's I think it's right up there. I mean, I I, I talk a lot. My brother's a, a Methodist preacher, and I talk a lot about just the simple utility of of the the cross as iconography. Mm-hmm. And and you know, like in and of itself, it is so wholly encompassing of the entirety of a of a of a you know century long story or you know millennia long story and and it sums up all those things in two cross marks, right? Like in two two lines, and it's like. 
that's pretty effective. It's a pretty effective sure. solution. Yes. It, it's done great things. It's done terrible things. But it's a pretty effective design <laughs> yeah, solution. Yeah, it's powerful. It has a lot built into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, that was the best conversation. <laughs> I'm like, I say as if you're not here. I know, I but know. I'm just like, I feel like I want to ask you more, but I think that we pretty well covered a lot of really amazing things. I think so. And I think we could probably have you on for like an entire season of Design Speaks and not cover everything that you have to say. Well, we would you love know, to have know, you on again in the future. That, that, that'd be awesome. <laughs> let, let me let me, let me me celebrate a little bit this conversation and, okay. and just say that um, I, I listened to a number of episodes before I came to Albuquerque uh, last year. And one of the things that I think is is worthy of celebration, and it's going to sound maybe indirectly, it's intended to be a compliment. Okay, <laughs> is that your your willingness to leave this at a conversational level, to make it accessible, to leave it unpolished, is a magical stroke in both great design, but also self restraint. I mean, I think that the tendency to want to perfect things is a inherent designer trait. And I think in this way, you've made design more accessible, both by the the partnership that the two of you have, but also the willingness to say, this is an open conversation that we're not sure where it's going to go. Um, but we but we know it's in it, it's, it has the directionality of better understanding designers and designers better understanding the world around them. And that's that's worthy of celebration. So thank you for for continuing to have this conversation. I know it's meaningful to the people that are that are listening in and, and I can tell it's meaningful to the two of you. I mean, if, thank you. if it's not meaningful to anyone else, it's meaningful to us for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me because um, I went to a retreat with Sir James Victory last spring um, where I did some kind of soul searching as a creative and found, you know, that I need to that my my word is excellence um, and that it's not perfection. I, I think I, I have reached the point in my design life where I am over the perfection thing, but I was trying to figure out what it was that I am about. And so it is excellence. And so the fact that you it's really encouraging that you see that we're OK with not being perfect level of perfection because honestly like just reality we can't (laughs) no we just can't (laughs) i mean we know we're recording this now and michelle's gonna probably tomorrow edit this and Mm -hmm. we'll launch it on thursday and it's just it is what it is show notes may be there they may not be there the the (laughs) at least the very basic show notes of what you said and links links to (laughs) will be there there. but as for every see it's just it's just crazy how many things go into a podcast but you know we know we can't be perfect that's right and we're okay with it yes so thank you for that that's amazing and i take that as a celebration i don't take that as anything but so thank you and i want to encourage you that i think that it's brilliant that you advocate so hardcore for designers like myself and others and being on a board you know as a non-designer just goes to show like especially AIGA but you know just hopefully the the world's view on inclusivity in this design world that it's not just people who can use the software or who know how to draw like it's people who can also contribute in other ways like Without you, we would not have this immense view on, you know, looking at community and designers and all this thing. And I think that's really valuable. So thank you. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So that was Hugh. What did you think, Michelle? Oh, my gosh. I have to listen to that like eight more times to hear, to like taking everything he said and even then i don't know that i will have 100 percent. he what a great guy yes what a great conversation we just had my favorite takeaway is design your life 
Yeah. I'm like, can I just steal it? Yeah, that's a it's brilliant. It's, and he just like set it off I know. the cuff. He like, just like says stuff. Oh, yeah. that just came from my brain, no big deal. I know. I love my favorite part was when he said designers are extraordinary bridge builders. Mm, yeah. I wrote that down. So um Thank you, Hugh, for your yeah. time. You are incredible. We cannot wait to talk to you again. Yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that and we will See you next week. Um, Michelle, where can people find us? You can find us on all forms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, via at Brandy C. Spell your name for them. B-R-A-N-D-I-S as in Sam, E-A. So go ahead and uh, just say hey. You can hit us up the new old-fashioned way via email, brandy at brandyc.com. And once again, thank you to Vespertine for allowing us to use his music as our intro and outro to this wonderful show. Wonderful show.